Good morning. Life change. Are you living up to your name? Well, I'm going to change my sermon emphasis. Thank you, sir, for bailing me out there. Um, okay, so as um, I initiated the conference over the week yesterday morning, I'll feel that responsible to do the same this morning. For you that were here, this is a reminder. Uh, I'm discovering that you like doing things together and you define yourself better together. I'm not sure you missed about that either. <laughs> I believe you, you believe that. So, with that being the case, and uh, I'm all about family. It's a pleasure to have my son travel with me. He's not on vacation, but the chance to go to Georgia. So, I have to have Eric with us. Yeah, he deserves that. Round of applause. But, uh, so, Garrett and I just, uh, we, we want to be a part of your family. We want to do things together with you if you give us permission. So I'm just going to treat you as if we are family today. And I'm going to share the, the word of the Lord from that perspective. And uh, I'm going to take all the, uh, the crust off, okay? So I'm just, uh, I'm just a brother of the Lord. I've come to be a part of this family time of worship. My heart is to serve this church with pastors. I have something that would be of benefit to you as we look into the bread of life. I want to serve a fresh loaf this morning. Okay? I'm hoping for some increased revelation. And uh, just thank you so much. Deeply, we're deeply honored. The opportunity and invitation to be here, to be with your pastoral leadership. We're learning to appreciate so very much. Pastor, developing friend, bishop, and your precious family, pastors, Jason and Jordan. Got to meet the little baseball player yesterday. He elevated his aura of heroism in my life because he plays for the Orioles. <laughs> I assume that's the Greenville Orioles? Yeah. Well, I told him that uh, he was telling me about his accomplishments yesterday on the field. And in his eyes, he was the main man, and I, uh, I didn't have any reason but to agree. Yeah. Uh, but I, when I was his age, exactly, played for the Appomattox. Oreos in Appomattox, Virginia. Yeah, so I mean, I've got me a friend for a lifetime. <laughs> we bonded immediately. I was jealous that I could not trade roles with him. <laughs> you be the bishop. I want to go do what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, thank you for the opportunity. Tika, where'd you go, sir? Oh, you're back there. I thought maybe you were. Roof no, no, no. One and done. Yes, sir. Congratulations, sir. Thank you. Uh, it's always a joy to honor, celebrate accomplishments of that nature. So, uh, the Lord's hand is on you. You're aware of that, right? Yes, sir. Pastors, church churches, 
formed and affirmed. God is going to come along behind and support it. And God's got a phenomenal plan for your life. God, the exhortation your pastor gave you brought tears to my eyes. I hope it impacted you the same. You'll get in the book. Let the book get in you. I think you'll be all right. God be the glory. In your Bibles, my assignment is to bring the word of the Lord. I admit to being faithful to that. The pastor has informed me that there is no time clock or shot clock here. Um, I will not abuse that, I promise. Um, but I was encouraged by that. So I, I want us to gather around the Word of God this morning as a family. And I want us to take a journey. I want us to make some discoveries that I literally believe have life change potential. Is that all right? I think it can change you individually, collectively, this church. And uh, I'm always one that's been in the body of Christ moving forward, gaining and advancing in, in our own maturation as believers and followers, disciples, but also for the church, advancing the kingdom. That we, we just absolutely refuse. The rest on our laurels, our previous accomplishments, where we're at, that we never become content or satisfied with uh, the work of the gospel in our homes, our families, our communities, where you, the city of Greenville, and this region. Uh, so, saying all that to, to amplify that I believe the Lord's word and what he has instructed me to share with you. Has that capacity to move you forward. Is that good? Yeah. All right. Exodus chapter 33. I also discovered in hanging out with your pastors the last couple of days uh, up close and then from a distance that we have a similar passion. And that's going to unfold as I move forward uh, in my presentation message to you today. All right, we're going to dive into a very familiar passage of scripture, Exodus chapter 33, we're going to begin reading with verse 12, Exodus 33, 12. Everybody there? We good? All right, let's hear the word of the Lord. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Let's, let's pause right there for just a moment. I think that demands just a Brief silah, meditate. Okay, here is the man Moses. If you know much about the story, know uh, anything about his life, he's 
well into what we would call ministry and leadership and carrying out the plan and will of God for his life. But at this particular moment, in this particular line of communication with God, he asked God to help him discover God more than as he presently or previously knew him. Oh, it reminds us of the New Testament character, the Apostle Paul, when in a very similar scenario of many years of ministry, he seemingly interrupts in a conversation and says, God, really the, the main thing I want to do is know you. I just want to know more about you. I'm discovering you in ways I've never known you before. I want to find out things about you that I do not know now. There's so much more to learn. So much more revelation that I can experience. God, help me to know you beyond my present place. I would be so happy if that was the posture of all of us here today. That we want to know him beyond what we presently do. Christ is kind of like a, um, a multifaceted diamond. I've got the attention of all the ladies now. Yeah. And that diamond is being examined and considered and it seems as though the expert that's working with the diamond that every turn the brilliance of the diamond increases and it would say at this particular viewing point wow that's got to be the apex the crescendo of the brilliance the glory the good the beauty but then it turns again and there's more to experience about this particular diamond that's the way the Lord Jesus Christ is. You think you have found the ultimate understanding and you've experienced about all that there is about him. But yet, if you would just go a little deeper, if you would just pursue a little harder, if you just run a little faster, if you would just discover a little more, you will come to a realization that's so much about him that you had yet. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is Good. So, would you increase your appetite for the things of the Lord? To know Him more and more. I love that about the man Moses. Teach me your ways that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. We're going to talk about that statement in just a few moments. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth. Now, again, I'm going to take a meditation moment because I think it's imperative that we grasp the moment here that we are giving permission to participating in in Scripture. It's almost as if we have been allowed to hear a conversation between God and his servant Moses that was so private that no one else's ears should be given opportunity 
can hear. And thinking from that perspective, I'm reminded, and I, as I span the audience, I realize that some of you have enough digits to define your age that you remember the party line. Telephone system. I got a front. <laughs> now, some of you young folks have no comprehension about what I'm about to tell you. In fact, you won't even believe it. <laughs> You're going to go home and Google it just to prove it. Preach all night. But there used to be what was called party lines. Uh, being raised in rural Virginia, a little little community called Vero. Don't look for it on the map. You won't find it. It's, uh, it's in Appomattox County. If you know your American history, you know that Appomattox is where the Civil War ended. All right, that's as far as I'll go with that. But in Vera, we had a party line system all across the county. And on our party line, we had six homes. Six homes used the same line. That means that you could, if you so chose, listen in on the conversations of those six residents. And we have one lady that was a part of our party line, Miss Francis. I remember her from being a young boy, and one of the uh, astute characteristics of Miss Francis was that she loved the telephone. Yeah. Uh, she was the community, and you can fill in the blank. You get the picture. And so there would be times when mom would, my mom would need to use the phone, and, and uh, she would say, Gary, check and see if Francis is on the phone. It was just a common inquiry because that was the typical occupation of Miss Francis. And if she was, it was my instructions. I assume mom didn't want to deal with it. So me being six, seven, eight years old, I probably was qualified and it would be less contention involved. Miss Francis, this is Gary. If it's okay, mom would like to use the phone. Can we have it for a few minutes? <laughs> Because only one person can actually make a call that it's a party line. But I must confess, and this goes for the soul to say, there are many times when in the privacy of my home, when no one else was watching, I would pick up the phone. <laughs> and you'd put your hand over the voice part, and you would listen in on all of the other conversations. And it was so entertaining and so juicy at times. I became so well informed and I got all kinds of unnecessary education. <laughs> yeah, the party line. It's like that's what happens to us here in Exodus 33. We have been allowed to pick up the receiver and hear a conversation between God and Moses that probably should have been kept private because of the depth, the content, the seriousness, the nature of their back and forth communication. And Moses is Begging God, go with us on the continuation of this journey. We'll explain that in a few moments. God, if you don't go, what's going to make the difference? How will we be identified as anyone that's different from all the other peoples of the earth that service and serve all of their 
little gods and false gods and idols. If, if you don't go wild without being a distinguishing mark, and how could anyone know that we are serving a different God than they are? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing, verse 17, that you have asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. Hallelujah. You can take that as a personal declaration over your life today. This is a promise that not only finds itself in the book of Exodus and the life of the children of Israel, but it has manifold manifestations in the New Testament. And I'm here to tell you this morning with great joy, God knows you by name and he has promised to go with you to the fact he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I am all in, God says, on your behalf. Verse 18. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock when my glory passes by. I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back but my face must not be seen. Out of the context and content of that passage of Scripture, and if you follow the flow of the conversation, most conversations have a consistency to their content. The subject matter, the end effort, what we need to discuss and conclude. In this conversation, we have a flow, but then there is seemingly an unexpected interruption. And the conversation takes a different turn, and there is a twist in the whole effort of communication from Moses to God. He's talking about the journey. He's talking about God's presence. He's talking about God being the distinguishing mark and, and the difference maker. And God begins to respond positively to Moses, which if you know the backdrop to this wasn't the case. God was upset with the children of Israel. God was upset with their present journey. In fact, God had said, I'm abandoning you, Moses, and if you'll get out of the way, I'll kill the whole bunch of them. Lot of activity about God that a lot of folk don't know regards to the history of the children of Israel contained in, in 32 and, and 33 that leads up to Exodus 34. But God was, God was irate because they had fallen into idolatry and they became rebels and ridiculous in their conduct and they resisted and refused all that God had been doing and planned to do and now God was saying I'm over it, I 
I'm done, my patience is wore out, I'm fed up, I'm getting ready to eliminate the whole group, Moses, and I'll start over with just you, and we'll try this whole thing over again. I'm not making that up. And now Moses becomes the intercessor. He begins to plead and, and basically beg God for mercy. He asks God to have mercy. And the Bible says, God said, I will relent of the judgment that I had planned. And so now in this conversation that we've read as a text, it's going along those lines. And it seems as though God's of a different attitude. Follow my train of thought here. He's gone from being somewhat negative and, and demanding and critical and obstinate and, and uh, angry. And now he's, oh, Moses is recognizing he's, he's saying yes. He's responding in a positive way to my request. He, he changed his mind. He's going to go with us. And, and his presence will guide and protect and make the difference. And, and things are really good. And so it appears that Moses in that recognition of, of God being maybe somewhat more favorable. Takes advantage of the opportunity. He says that's been something I want to ask God for a long time. I want to know more about him. I want to discover things that I've yet to know. I want God to teach me some things that I have yet so in that, he asked this most famous of Bible questions. If you search and discover what are some of the more famous inquiries in the Bible, this one will show up when Moses asked God, show me your Us to go to the New Testament. Gentlemen, you can help us. You're doing such a good job back there. Let's go to the New Testament. Now let's turn to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I want to take an Old Testament reality, bring it into a New Testament revelation, then I'm going to break down the subject matter and we're going to discover potential change here. Everybody with me? We're all good? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, let's begin with verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, I know that's about engraved with letters on stone. Talk to me. Hello? Conversation. Party line. <laughs> if it came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, that was the law. We're talking about Moses seeing the law. He's up on the mountain of Sinai. God's finger is, is carving the Ten Commandments, and, and the glory of God now is uh, 
uh, imparted to Moses, and he literally shines. He's illuminated. <laughs> Pretty amazing. They had to veil him. So, if the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison, uh, comparison with the surpassing glory. Glory, a lot of glory here, isn't it? You, you're following the glory line here? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Oh, you got to stay with me here. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who had put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away, but their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But when any, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Church, listen. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and with the Spirit of the Lord is there's freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory or being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Wow, what a passage. What a coupling of biblical understanding, Old Testament, New Testament, past Glory, present glory, and the purpose of God with his people. So, let's take a little journey. Can we do that today? Moses asked God this most amazing question. Show me your glory. Fair? Everybody good? Yeah. Take a picture. No, we've got to be familiar with that. Take a picture. This whole matter of the glory of God is really an intrigue, isn't it? And it has, over the last several decades, ratcheted up in interest and even in curiosity within the framework of the church world. When, when the charismatic movement kind of uh, settled in over uh, the body of Christ and, and kind of interposed and merged with the, the Pentecostals, uh, the glory of God became a very prominent matter. I can't remember as a lad, that's, that's a sophisticated term for when I was a boy. Well, you recognize my level of excellence and intelligence in those terms of that nature. You didn't hear much about this, but as I 
grew in age and in ministry, it became rather a consistent subject of consideration, and it became almost and unfortunately entertaining as to how the glory of God was dealt scripturally, how it was defined, and how we measured it. But we are all very familiar with this biblical subject. We talked about it already here today, almost unconsciously. The subject of the glory of God has been sang, it's been prayed, it's been communicated, but because it's so consistent in our church activity, in our Christianese, we oftentimes don't even realize how prominent and dominant it is in our settings of worship, in our conversations, and certainly the place that it plays from a biblical perspective. So if I was to be brave enough, which I'm not, to pass the mic around the audience and say, give me your definition of the glory of God. It would probably be as bad as unique and distinct and different as you as individuals. Because we all would define it, we all perceive it, uh, we all consider it uh, from a variety of angles and applications. The glory of God has been considered... Uh, I got that feeling. And I'm not, well, maybe I, I'll let you be trying. I'm not making light of or being sarcastic. I'm just trying to open up a could be Pandora's box. But I'm committed to it simply because. There's revelation in Scripture that all of us need to comprehend and walk in in regards to the glory of God. So much diversity, so much uniqueness, so much strange doctrine and communication about this extremely valuable God matter. So here is a suggestion for all of us, and this is the route we will go as we move toward Revelation today, is we're going to give God permission. Well, that might be a strange concept for the church world anymore, isn't it? But we're going to give God permission to define a subject of this nature. We'll let Him tell us what He says it is. Is that for everybody? We can think about it here saying, well, that wasn't his opinion, her opinion, my thoughts, my ideas. That's what God said. And if God says it, then I'd say it's pretty well settled. And we just have to go there and say, uh, I didn't agree before, and I've challenged prior to, but if God said it, then I'll, I'll settle there, and we'll walk out of here in absolute harmony of what we know to be the glory of God. So with that being declared, 
If there's any one vital character that I could measure from a scriptural knowledge that seemingly had no reason to ask this question, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Daniel, David, all the prophets, great men of God, it seemed as though Moses is the one vital character that had the less reason to ask the question than all of the others, maybe even combined. Think about it. Wasn't it Moses? I get excited. Wasn't it Moses that on the backside of the desert keeping his father-in-law's flock experienced on some announced day one of the most incredible events in all of biblical content when there he witnessed a bush that was burning and not being consumed? Am I right? Sunday school days. That was Moses, right? He's out there in the desert, minding his own business and working for his pop and mom. What a journey. The bush starts to burn. And it's not sufficient that the bush is burning and not being consumed. The bush starts to talk. We got a talking bush burning and not being burned up. Now, if that had happened to any of us in our life at any time, we would have immediately, are you, do, are you doing me? No. We would have taken our phone. We would have gone into photography mode, and we're about to blow social media right up. Look at here, folks. I'm there. You see this? I'm not making it up. There is a bush burning behind me. This bush is on fire. I can feel the heat of it. And listen, let me turn on audio. This bush is talking. And we would have captured that social media blast. I have seen the glory of God. <laughs> the same man. And I'm going to go He's in the company of, as an act of obedience to God, surrender to their company. Kind of like Kika climbing the ladder. Moses had to fight his own fears and go to Egypt and deal with the greatest authority on the planet, Pharaoh. He stands there as a man of God, carrying out the orders of Jehovah. And he's now giving Pharaoh orders, which probably wasn't the wisest thing to do from a natural perspective. But God was involved. God helped. God responded. You know the story. I don't have to go into the depths of it. But was it not Moses who witnessed what we define as the plagues on the people of Egypt? Did not Moses say to Pharaoh this, that, and the other? And God responded with demonstrating his power and authority and dominance over any earthly rule or reign. Was it not? 
not it Moses who saw the Nile River turning to blood, saw the plagues of gnats and bulls and flies? Did he not see all of these things with his own eyes and experience them? Would you not have thought that Moses would have considered while he was engaged in all of that type of miraculous activity that he was experiencing and witnessing the glory of God? Now they got delivered, so they're standing at the, 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 the boundaries, the beach, the borders of this magnificent body of water that's become their prison, their capture, and they have nowhere to go and no way out. And, and they see the dust trail of Pharaoh and his armies, and they're about to be recaptured and taken back into slavery. And they're pretty sure things will get a whole lot worse than they were before. This is a mess. They can't go this way, that way, the other way. And God responds again in one of those absolutely unbelievable, incredible, miraculous events in biblical history. It is of biblical proportion. Moses raises the rod. God moves and the waters divide. And the folk of the children of Israel walk across on dry ground. That's the part seemingly most folk will ever really understand. It was dry. No mud. Telling again, we bring it out. We bring it out to iPhones. We bring it out to smartphones. And we are taking video. I'm telling you, we will walk by and show them this how many feet wall of water in the thing. And what was at one time a few minutes ago, the bed of a body of water is now kicking up dust. I mean, we're seeing the glory of God at its crescendo. This has got to be the apex of who God is and what God can do. I am witnessing his glory. Go on further. Was it not Moses who saw water come out of a rock in the desert? Wasn't it Moses who witnessed the response of God and supplying those people by raining manna out of heaven? Come on. That was Moses, right? And then we come to Mount Sinai, the posture of this particular passage that we have read, and we park there a while, and Moses has gone up, and, and there's things that happened prior to that that are pretty incredible as well that most of us would have been overwhelmed by when God is telling Moses to come visit with him, and he says, Moses, bring the people to the mountain. Bring the people to the mountain. And as they draw near to the mountain, this mountain becomes alive. Now we have a, not only a bush that's burning and not consumed and speaking, now we have a mountain taking on similar characteristics. The Bible says as they approached, God came down and settled on the mountain with his presence uh, with fire. God came down in the embodiment of fire. And the mountain becomes engulfed in this fiery, dark cloud. And lightning bolts are now striking from every direction. Violent storm is now, has descended on the mountain. And the mountain begins to shake and quake. And we're having an earthquake right there at Mount Sinai. And all this activity, the children of Israel are experiencing. And a trumpet starts the trumpet. You thought a talking bush was big. Now we got a mountain blowing a trumpet.
came in this <laughs> Hollywood just has to shine in comparison. God begins to speak voice. This is how he's talking. Can, can you just put yourself there? And if you have any recognition about this idea of the glory of God, would you not have said to family and friends and next door neighbors and congregants sitting with you across the aisle or the next seat in the church, would you not say, hey, listen, we are experiencing the glory of God? Yeah, we would have. That's the case. I'm going to ask some theologian in the house to stand up and still sit waiting on the majority of the rest of us. Explain to me if that was the path of Moses' journey. And he had experienced and tasted and witnessed and saw and felt was the presence of all those things that are justified. And on the backside of every bit of that, the backside of every bit of that is in conversation, private conversation that we got to tap into. And a question that he asked God seemingly perplexes the theologians and the masterminds of biblical content and all of heaven and earth is, God, will you show me your glory? So if you want to take that question and apply previous action and make an assessment, uh, we come to the conclusion that from Moses' perspective in the prior, prior parts of his life and all that he had engaged up to this point, he had never witnessed the glory of God. That's a big shot, isn't it? So I became, can I use the word disturbed, as, as a responsible party to the church, and one that is obligated to help us stay in a proper biblical path and patterns and understanding. I became extremely concerned about how flippantly the glory of God was being dealt with. And everybody having somewhat of their own posturing and positioning about the glory of God. Not ill toward anybody, not angst at anything, but just simply believing that it could not be so convoluted. It could not be so individualistically determined. It's got to be something far greater than what we've tapped into yet. And so I began this journey, this prayerful biblical journey of trying to see from the mind of God, the heart of God, the voice of God, what is his glory? I took the posture of Moses and I said, God, I've seen a lot of things in my life. I've experienced a lot of ministry, a lot of high points. I've seen you do incredible, miraculous things, but yet I want to know what is your glory? So, This is what we must recognize when you discuss the word, the content, the subject of glory. So you listen to This whole matter of glory, when you, if you will, boil it down, 
It means what is the maximum capacity? What is the fullest and strongest ability? What is the crescendo that makes this different than anything else? When you talk about the glory of a matter, it's what is its primary distinction or ability beyond all of the rest. So when you talk about the glory of God, you must recognize that there is a matter about God that, and I will use the word again, that crescendos, that, that climbs, forgive me, teacup, that flies high. It gets to the very top of the subject matter. You can get no higher, go no further than what the glory represents. We recently had a demonstration of that in the sports world. If you consider horse racing a sport, and most would. If I only had put a few dollars down. <laughs> no, I don't bet on horses. <laughs> oh, it would have been nice to put a few dollars down on the strike rich, rich strike, strike rich, I think it was. Y'all know the story, right? Kentucky River recently. Sir, the wise in consolation. <laughs> a horse had bailed due to little complications. He got in in the last 20 seconds. His owner put him in the race in the last 20 seconds of being able to register. He was the last horse in. He was the worst odds. He had, he had lost seven races coming into the Kentucky Derby. He lost seven races. That's not a really good father of the record, is it? Well, I'm a bit on him. He's a real loser. <laughs> I mean, the odds stack 80 to 1. How that works? I'm not really intelligent and all that. It sounds like I know what I'm talking about. Honestly, I do not. But I just know he was a no name and no chance. But he got in the stall with the rest of the other horses. And so let's talk about a racehorse. I mean, there's some beautiful animals. Aren't they? By the way, this horse was purchased for $30,000. I mean, that's chump change in racehorse financing. Some of these horses go for millions of dollars. Did somebody call anyone? So the racehorse, its, it's glory, its magnificence, its distinction is not in its beautiful coat, even though it's well tended to and shining and it's attractive and, and, and it's not uh, it, it, its glory is not in its mane which is flowing and long and, and well manicured and taken care of and, and, and its glory is not in its stall or in its place of residence that is the finest of what you can provide in that subject matter the glory of a racehorse is when you put it in that stall Unlike a workhorse or riding horse or other horses that have other assignments or provide other levels of pleasure, you put a racehorse in the stall and they trip the lever and the gate opens. The glory of a racehorse.
racehorse is when it starts to gallop and it uses those long, well-trained legs and those muscles have been shaped and formed for this very assignment and it begins to run like the wind and it amazes you how fast it can go and how brilliant it looks and how majestic it carries itself and it goes toward the finish line with no other option or determination and comes from the back, if you will, to the front and victory is gained. That's the glory of a racehorse. And no other time will you ever experience its glory unless it's on the track of carrying out the purpose for which it was created. That's the glory of a horse. So, I'll, I'll respond, yes, I'll show you. I'll show you. Is anyone here interested in knowing what the glory of the Lord is? You can sing about it, pray it, preach it, taught it, celebrate it. Do you really not know what the glory of the Lord is? Let's go to Exodus 34. We're working toward the conclusion. Remember what God said to Moses when he asked the question, calls on my goodness? Now listen, pause, interruption, everybody being attentive. You do not have permission to disagree with God. Is everybody okay with that? Is that offending about it? We have a tendency to do that, you know. God, that's not exactly the way I wanted that to go. Uh, that's not what I had in mind. That, that's not my opinion. Let's come back to the table and discuss this. Isaiah 40 talks about who does God seek from counsel or wisdom understanding? Who does God look to to help you make decisions? Uh, not any of us. <laughs> oh, my. That's not an insult to So here we have God carrying out the promise of what he said to Moses. The Lord said to Moses, 34.1, chisel out two stone tablets. You remember what happened to the others. Moses, in his anger, threw them down. He witnessed the mess the nation of Israel had engaged in idolatry and revelry and sin. And things are now broken. And so he's got to chisel out his own stones this time. God says, I did it one time. You're doing it this time. I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Isn't that neat, that conversation they're having? Wow. So here, here's the instructions. This is in the Bible. It's on the screen. Be ready in the morning and then come up on Mount Sinai. Everybody say come up. Uh -huh, come up. Present yourselves to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and the herds may graze in front of the mountain. It's, it's a dangerous place, man. It's, it's filled with the presence of God. That's a mountain that was on fire and blowing a trumpet and talking and lightning. I mean, this thing is real. Moses is coming up this mountain. Take that teacup. And um, so Moses chiseled out 
two stone tablets like the first ones and went up. Everybody say, went up. Uh -huh. Mount Sinai. Early in the morning, as the Lord had commanded him, and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down. Everybody say, came down. I got good news for you. Whenever you're willing to go up, I guarantee you God will come down. If you draw nigh to him, he's going to draw nigh to you. If you're willing to ascend the hill of the Lord, he'll meet you there. God came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name. Stick with me right here. You've got to hear every syllable of this. And proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed. Watch this. This is happening. This is this is God answering the request of Moses, show me your glory. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. So that's the activity that's in response to the inquiry. God says, I'll show you my glory, and this is how I'm going to do it. You come up on the mountain, you bring those two tablets you just had to call out. Shame, shame. And you find a certain place. And when you get there, I'm going to present myself to you. And I'm going to reveal to you my glory. Is everybody here that's here? So you can be here but be elsewhere. I'm aware of that. Some of you were in yesterday, and some of you were already in tomorrow. I'm asking you to do all of us a favor, bring you to be with you. And let's all yoke up here for just a few more minutes that we have remaining. And let's make an amazing discovery. So bring your mind and rest your mind, the Apostle Paul said. Connect it again with your body, body, soul, and spirit here in this room so we can make a game changer for the sake of life change. I love your smile. It's very encouraging. Yeah. Please keep it. <laughs> Some of the facial expressions. I need to look at you. <laughs> Moses found the mountain. It's set in a position of obedience. If you go back to Exodus 6, remember he met, Mo, met God at the bush. God declared. I am what I am. That was a revelation. That was a new revelation of God. Exposing who he was beyond what he had revealed in the past. And he told, he told Moses, take this man, Pastor, you need to serve this man. I love, I love this man's grasping description. God was so blessed just a brief time ago to allow him to write the book. He's obviously a dedicated student of the word. And he kind of just Pours out of him, doesn't it? Notice that? I'm, 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 I'm attracted and I'm, I'm envious. 
has to uniquely search this. So in Exodus 6, God tells Moses something that most people never ever capture. He says to Moses, I'm going to reveal to you things about me that your forefathers never knew, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will tell them things, tell you things about me that they did not get the privilege to know. I'm going to reveal yourself to you, myself, as the Lord. Got that? Moses is on the mountain. God knew with his knowledge, full knowledge, this was going to happen. And so now that prophetic utterance to Moses is being revealed and fulfilled. That's incredible. So Moses is on the mountain. God presents himself to Moses. Go there in your mind. Go there in your imagination. Let me try to help you capture this like booklets. Some of you have read enough stories and you've watched enough movies about kingdoms past and, and great authorities and, and kings and, and how they would enter the royal chamber. There's a, there's a presentation of a king. You, you know how that looks? You, you got that little funny dude that comes out with that long trumpet that's just worn straight and he's. So you, you think mountains playing trumpets? Me playing a trumpet is really miraculous. You, you remember that dude who comes out and he's got those flag with the emblem of the nation and he's, he's getting the attention of everybody. Hey, everybody, something's about to happen. Hey, 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 this thing is really demanding your attention. And then behind him, comes the one who makes the announcement. And there is this herald. And he comes in in all his pomp and circumstance, and he's pontificating, thank you very much, and he is announcing to the world, to the kingdom, to the audience, that about to enter the kingdom's domain and rule setting the throne, that's the word I'm trying to come up with, is the king. So, we got the doo -doo 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 -doo, and then we got the herald. Hearken to all the people about the end of the royal chamber is King Louis Thirteenth, ruler of the known world. He has conquered all of this and done all of that and he's subdued all of these and he's all of the other and, and he's got the t-shirt and the bag of chips and, and he's just a bad dude and you need to recognize that he's all of what we say he is because he's going to come in here and sit on this throne and throw his weight around and he's in charge. Well, not quite like that. But you get the picture, right? That's what happens. That's real reality. From that, take this setting on Mount Sinai. The Bible says that the Lord presented himself to Moses. And he announces, the Lord, the Lord is passing before you. This is a new revelation. Moses requests and inquiry and desire is being satisfied. I want to see, I want to know your glory. You said you'd show me things that I have yet to understand. You said there are things that I will know that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob never knew. And now God says, yep, here comes the Lord, the Lord, which is the 
word Jehovah translated into English, the most revered name for God in all of Scripture, so holy that the Hebrew race won't even pronounce it. They don't even spell it in its completeness because it's so revered. Jehovah, the Lord, God's redemptive name. Let me try to help you understand that in an increasing way. It's God's relational name. It's God's name that he gives to us to help us comprehend how he wants to be in relationship with you and you and you. And you gravitate to that with greater revelation by Jehovah Jireh and Jehovah Rapha and Jehovah Nissi and Jehovah Nisidkanu and Jehovah Imkadesh and Jehovah Shalom and Jehovah Rohi and Jehovah Shama. This is this God that loves us and cares for us and wants to be a part of our life. This is God your provider and God your healer and God your righteousness and God your sanctifier and God your peace and God your shepherd and God your mighty presence and God your victory. The Lord, the Lord Jehovah. Revelation. Moses had knew the God Bushes <clears throat> Moses had experienced a God that could override and overrule Pharaohs. Moses knew the God that could split waters and bring man out of heaven and cause mountains to shake and all the things of incredible nature that astounds the mind and overwhelms our capacity to, to comprehend. And now he's being brought to an understanding that there's a dimension about this God that he never fully understood. Not a God only of sovereignty, a God of authority, a God of power, a God of miracles, but he's a God that loves me. He's a God that cares for me. He's a God that's concerned about me. He's a God who will get involved in my personal life. He's a God that wants to take care of every aspect of who I am and what's going on in my world. He is Jehovah. He is Lord. He is the Redeemer. And God presents himself to Moses. And in doing that, allows in his train Moses to experience compassion, forgiveness, mercy, love, grace. Things that Moses did not at that point of his relationship with God fully comprehend. Do you understand, my brothers and sisters, when God was given the proposition to show Moses his glory, he determined that the greatest level of performance that the God of heaven and earth could engage was not miracles of natural nature. It was not propounding science and man's intelligence. Those of the child's play with God, it's like a kid laying in a sandbox. If you think God is showing his glory by causing a bush to burn, who on earth do you think created fire or the bush? Don't you dare belittle the glory of God by defining it through the manifestation of his miracle working power. That is not his glory. That's his day job. That's simple. That's just who God is and what God does. He works.
works miracles, signs and wonders to demonstrate that he's God. Not to expose his glory. You say, well, sir, you're strange. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> Thank you for the confirmation. I'm just telling you what the book says so we all can get on the same plane field of recognizing the power, the beauty, the significance, the glory, the glory of God. Passion, forgiveness, mercy, grace, love. These are the attributes, components, characteristics, demonstrations of the glory of God. Don't be little by glory by the things that like him have nowhere near that difference in things. God is not maximized by doing for my father. He's not maximized by blowing our minds with his capacity. But exposing his glory is what brings him the the very essence, the maximum ability who he is and what he's about. I'm closing by telling you this. Take what we experienced there in Exodus 33, 34. Pattern it and overlay it with the rest of scriptural content. And to really understand the glory of God, we must journey to a place. That's a lonely hill outside the city walls. Place called Jerusalem. In the name of this hill has been given uniqueness because of its geographical configuration. It should be called Golgotha, the place of a skull. And it was on that lonely hill outside the city walls that God, in his greatest moment, far exceeding what happened on Mount Sinai, Mount Calvary takes a whole nother dimension of revelation of the glory of God. If any of you want to see the glory of God beyond what Moses experienced, I want you to go to Calvary and I want you to see the man on the middle cross and I want you to see him suspended between heaven and earth. I want you to see God at his Best. God performing at the greatest capacity that the God of heaven and earth can ever perform. God will never outdo what he did on Calvary. Eternity past, present, and eternity future will always shine brightest in light of Calvary when the Son of God, Lamb of God, gave his life for folk like you and me. That's the glory of God. That's God saying to the world, not on a mountain, to a single man. That's God shouting to the whole world, to the whole world, I will give you compassion.
direction. I will give you my love. I will give you forgiveness. I'll give you grace. I'll demonstrate who I am because I love you. This is my glory. I'm saying this. The Bible says the greatest demonstration God's love came in the presence of Jesus Christ. One step further. <clears throat> and one step further. Challenge. You see, I have dress shoes on. I don't have my shoe on. It's hard for me to take them off. I have a hole in the side of my ankles. I borrowed two and a half foot holes. The only way this message makes any difference, except when you say, that was interesting. I've got to put some shoe leather on. I've got to bring it down to you and I. I've got to make it personal. I've got to give you something you can walk home, walk in, carry out. So, about the glory of God, the subject of you and I are very transparent. I read for you Paul's writings to the church of home. I read for you. The biblical dynamic of what was and what is and what will increase. We read it. I didn't make it up. It's holy anointed, breath of God, information for you and I to navigate toward and to focus on in regards to glory and our responsibility to it. So the glory of Moses has faded. And it was difficult because there was a glory that was connected with death, the law, judgment. But Jesus came and exposed, as I have just defined to you, a whole new understanding of God's maximizing himself, demonstrating glory by dying on the cross. God of heaven dying, the creator giving his life and created the perfect, the righteous, the sinless, taking on sin for the sinner, the rebellious. Look, this is it. This is, this is, this is it. This is God at his greatest capacity. Paul says that the glory that was revealed, here we go. The glory that was revealed through Christ has now been transferred. You and me. And that this surpassing glory has now been brought to us for a personal possession. And that you and us, you and me, 
come now. The demonstration of the glory of God. You kidding me? I don't know who you are, where you've been, where God brought you from. Probably a pretty deep pit sometimes in knowing Jesus. Do you, sir, understand the Bible is telling you the glory that God exposed on Mount Sinai was fulfilled at its highest capacity on Calvary and now becomes your responsibility? Seriously. You see, God has always wanted the world to experience His glory. So, anybody here today want to see the glory of God? I got a picture. Crafted picture. Or my handy technology with that. Anybody want to see the glory of God? Well, listen, I'm soaking wet. <laughs> my socks are even wet. <laughs> Apart from other things that are wet. <laughs> the family, right? Okay. I'm trying to figure this bunch out, man. It's supposed to be the other side of the family. <laughs> that side. It's that side. Absolutely. I, I got revelation. It's that side of the family. See the glory? I'll show you the glory of God. I will show you how God wants to demonstrate those carried out in Calvary in today's world. How God wants to work with to experience His glory. How He wants Greenville to see His love, His compassion, His grace, and His mercy, and His forgiveness. How God wants to let the world know that He's real, that He's genuine, that He cares, that He's concerned. Relational, and he'll take care of us, and he'll provide for us, and he wants to get up in our kitchen and be able to our business in such a fine and, and wonderful way. So I'm going to start with you. You've been most cooperative. You said by this day, that's a beautiful smile. We'll show you the glory of God. Say, we were going to have her. Don't ever again question about the glory of 
It is God's demonstration of his love, grace, forgiveness, compassion. All of those wonderful characteristics relationally he wants to share with everybody on this journey. And then my final request. Don't ever as a church. I know that sounds so Whoever as a church pray again or sing again, God send the glory down. It's bad doctrine. She insulted God. What is he supposed to say? Well, Jesus wasn't good enough. I sent you my very best. I sent the glory back. I gave you me. That's all I got. Here's what I'm going to ask you to sing and pray and preach and believe. Ask the glory. Rise. Rise up. You, you, family of this church, the body of Christ in this city, we're going to rise up and demonstrate his glory to our world, your family, your loved ones, your co-laborers, your neighbors, your friends, your peer groups, your social media influence, whoever, wherever, however, God is asking you to be the demonstration of his glory, reflecting who Jesus is to a world that needs what you have. Go back there. We do all right. Get this. Everything good. Hallelujah. Stand with me, please. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for the time. Thank you for allowing me to be here. Thank you for receiving the truth. And thank you for being bearers of His glory. Does anybody here today need Jesus? You've heard about Him. We preach the gospel. Jesus loves you. Jesus saves. Jesus died for you. Today is your day of salvation. Right now, this is the accepted time of the Lord for people to find Him, experience His glory. Anybody here? Anybody here follow Christ? Love the Lord? No greater decision. No greater decision. Give your heart to Jesus. Oh, Are you good? Before I pass the mic out, I just want to remind you. If you feel comfortable, just lift your hands. In the presence of the Almighty God. I'm going to ask you to ask. A similar question that Moses asked, but much different in his application. Come, I've discovered your glory. I know what it is. I've experienced it. I'm asking you as I leave the house of the Lord today, and I go back into my world. I'll go into this world of mine with a renewed commitment to be the demonstration of your glory. Would you just cry that out to God? I can pray it for you, but would you open your mouth? And ask Holy Spirit to help you moving forward from today. 
I can let my neighbors and my friends and my family. Through me, they'll experience God's compassion. Through me, they'll experience his love. Through me, they'll experience his forgiveness. Through me, they'll experience all that God's about, the graciousness, the loving care of this almighty God. Lord, help me to live my life intentionally every day by showing people who you really are, that they might know your glory. I bless it over this house. May this revelation run deep and strong. May it become a motivation and a determination. It may it become a resolve. And Lord, may we be a people who says, yes, we want to be that reflection. I bless pastors. I bless their home. I speak life and health. I pray multiplication and increase. Lord, over this local church and over the conference of the state of Alabama, I pray for a greater harvest. God, give us increase. May we advance the kingdom. May we be difference makers as we distribute your glory here and there. We praise your name. I bless my brothers and sisters. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be theirs in abundance. May they experience new times and sweet ways of fellowship to the love of the Father. And may they enjoy the fullness and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. For your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen, Pastor.